This is Mako President Jerry Walker, and you're listening to the Conduit Street Podcast, the official podcast of the Maryland Association of Counties. Hello and welcome to the Conduit Street Podcast. Kevin Canale here with my co-host, Mako's Executive Director, Michael Sanderson. Hey, Kevin. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you today? Fine. Getting ready to pack up and head down to Cambridge for our annual winter conference, so the office is certainly a buzz. It is a buzz in a weird way. There's pa- there's like a there's a paper cut waiting to happen at every corner of this entire office building. So yeah, or a giant box waiting to trip me as I go down. Yes, the hallway, there's, there's all those. that too. So yeah. <laughs> all right, well, exciting times. And today on the podcast, you may be listening to this at our conference. But on the podcast today, once again, we will talk about the Kerwin Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education. We discussed last time, Michael, there was a a breaking development a couple of weeks back about the Kerwin Commission and that it will be delayed. But on this episode, we'll discuss whether or not the commission's recommendations will actually be delayed or could they be derailed. We'll get into that. We'll also talk about what Kerwin Light may look like for the session. We won't have the full Kerwin debate, but there still may be some things on the table. And then we'll get into a bit about our winter conference and some things that we think are important to be aware of as we head into 2019. So, Michael, let's jump right into the Kerwin Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education. We received word that the commission's recommendations will at least be delayed. And that came in the form of a letter from the presiding officers, Senate President Mike Miller and House Speaker Michael Bush. All right. So, I mean, the buildup to this was a little uncertain, but I mean, so our, our loyal podcast listeners have probably, we've probably tried their patience a bit over the course of this year as we've talked about school funding, maybe ad nauseum, but at least towing up to the line of, of maybe too much. But our argument was all along that this, this, this merits the attention because it's going to be the biggest policy debate for the 2019 legislative session. So the commission, you know, extended for a third year. We were the ones who called that, you know, a year ago or so. And, and we said it can't possibly get done by December 2017. They're going to have to extend. Lo and behold, they did. We spent the bulk of this year. I mean, going back to May and June, you know, covering, okay, they've had a work group meeting or they had a full meeting and where they're talking about, they're talking about engineers in Singapore, but eventually they're going to get around to finances, et cetera, et cetera. We've, it's almost gotten comical on our end, right? but um, we, we knew this was all coming together. And as things got closer to the end of the year, you keep flipping months on the calendar and it's September, then it's October. And we still don't have a, there's no new formulas. There's no new tables. No there's no, to look right, at, yeah. Right. So um, it just felt increasingly unstable as to how this was going to come together. I think our vision was maybe the commission would just slough off some of its responsibilities and only do certain things, sort of break the tape at the end of the race and then declare, oh, by the way, there's some other things that somebody ought to tend to. Right, right. So maybe do something you know very popular like pre-K. They've talked a lot about pre-K and then kick the can down the road, maybe create some other work groups to handle some of the right. more challenging issues that yeah, they face. Yeah, it was, it was tough to know what things might look like. So – the the twist or you know the what, what we've been waiting for the who done it moment at the end of the murder mystery that sort of thing shows up in the form of this 
two-page letter from the president of the Senate, the Speaker of the House, uh, two people who have a pretty high profile on the political spectrum in this state, um, who show up and more or less say, doesn't look like you're going to be able to get done with your work. It doesn't look like the legislature can really handle it. And we probably need more time for, you know, for, for sort of like local plans to be developed and teacher training. If we're going to, if we're going to do this big generational change, then you need to have some public education as well as student education. And so they more or less said, this doesn't look like it's ready for prime time. Let's take the formula changes and the big money stuff, push them back here. Right. So basically, the commission did not have enough time to finalize recommendations in the General Assembly in order to debate the recommendations of the commission and then figure out how to pay for all these recommendations. That would be just way too much for them to handle in a single 90-day session especially because you have a lot of new legislators coming to town who haven't heard about this, maybe not have been following this, and it's a lot to try and take in in 90 days. All right. So so I think okay, this this is not we're not breaking news in late December, early January that this has happened. Our our idea for today was rather let's try and dissect a little bit about what happened and where does this leave where does this leave all this momentum that as of a couple of months ago, there were lots of people going to public meetings, you know, lots of you know citizens and parents and organizations who are showing up saying, you know, please deliver on this, all these promises we've heard about, we're underfunding the schools, et cetera, et cetera. Let's make it happen. Let's go. We're all ready to support it. And that's a lot of what the Kerwin Commission was hearing. Now they've heard, okay, wait a year and we don't know what. So I think today, let's try and walk through a little bit, where does this leave us? I mean, the first big piece is why did this happen and and sort of where does it go? And then I think you know, maybe after after we do our break, we'll try and talk a little bit about what's left on the table for the coming legislative session. I think we talked a little bit about why this happened, Michael, that there just wasn't enough time. There was way too much to dissect. But you know, yeah, it's, there's 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 more to right, it. It's not right. just a matter of the you know the unwritten pages in the book. Right. I mean that 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 could have been enough to say the commission could have said we just need more time. The message coming the other way is a different message. Last year the commission said we're going to ask for a year. This year it was the presiding officers of the legislature saying you better take an extra year. Right. Don't force this. Don't rush this and try to deliver something that's going to be impossible for us to implement. Take your time and create another work group to look at the funding formulas. And Michael, a lot of the criticism that we've heard is that the Kerwin Commission just refused to develop these formulas. They refused to figure out how we would pay for this. What would the state and local cost share be? How would we take the formulas that we have now and maybe tweak them or totally reinvent them? They never really got around to that. They talked a lot about policy, and that's great, but they never got to what most people are, are were looking for and paying attention to, which is how are you going to pay for this? Because we know with the last big education commission, the biggest issue they had with implementing those recommendations, the Thornton Commission, was that they didn't have a way to pay for it. They had a one-year way to pay, and then after that, it wasn't able to be fully funded. So I think maybe this is a sign that the General Assembly is wary of what happened with Thornton and they want to make sure that doesn't happen again. I think, I think that's, that's fair to a point. I think I, I, might, I might reshape that a little bit that I don't think anyone believes it was the Kerwin Commission's job to actually come up with here are the revenue raisers or here are the other budget cuts that right. we recommend. So 
it's not so much that Kerwin needed to say, here's how to pay for it, but I think it's more that they needed to have recommendations that could mesh with a fiscal plan that the rest of the universe, basically the governor and the legislature, could get behind. And so, you know, to, to the extent that they spent a couple of years you know, talking in great detail about ladders for teacher development and the, the changing the nature of the teaching profession and a profound change to what we do for schools that have lots of poor kids and things of that nature. Um, I mean, we, we jokingly said, I want to, I, I kept saying, like, I want a sheet of paper. I can turn sideways and see the columns of numbers. I want to see a before and an after, and I want to have it broken out by counties because I'm just a creature of Annapolis and the General Assembly, and that's what I'm used to seeing. I'm used to seeing a fiscal note. Right. And the lack of anything like that just pointed in the direction of – they spring out, okay, you know, we're a few weeks before the end of this three-year commission, and now we've got a number. We think it's $4.4 billion. I mean, anybody who sat – I mean, we we did this as a, as a back-of-the-envelope exercise on the podcast. What would it take to raise that kind of revenue? And we went through sort of a laundry list of you do this, you do that, and all these things, and you're only halfway home. Right, and that's essentially if you right. did everything you could, right? Right, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm, so. Mm-hmm. I mean, the idea of a $4 billion a year funding plan, even if they say it's a 10-year phase-in, it was really like a five-year phase-in until you get almost all the money on the hook. Um, that's a really, really big lift. And no one checked to see whether like the tires fit the bike there. So, so, so I mean, so that's, that's ends up being sort of the Achilles heel of the plan. It sort of comes together and people can see, okay, it's emerging out of the mist and now we see how big it is. And a lot of people who liked this general idea said, well, but I, I'm not sure we can do that. Right. And that that's the issue is that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution that typically works in county government. So we have 24 jurisdictions here in Maryland, all very different. And the lack of that information, the lack of the breakdowns between each jurisdiction really, really hurt this commission. And the further along they pushed that, I think the further nervous people started becoming, especially in the General Assembly and especially in leadership. Right. So you don't have to take it from us. I mean, I think there's, to some degree, there's a little bit of word on the street. Just as this was coming together, uh, both of the major newspapers, both the Washington Post and the Baltimore Sun, were starting to put together pieces to assemble, you know, what what are the current recommendations? look like and and where's all the money going to come from and what does this mean for education and for kids and so forth. So they were just starting to focus in on this in ways that we thought would be productive um, at about the time when the shoe dropped saying, okay, not this year. Uh, but so, so now you, you end up with sort of some buzz around town. Uh, I think an easy place to look is Barry Raskovar. He's a guy who's been around town for an awfully long time. His website – PoliticalMaryland.com. Right. So his, his website is – he's become sort of a, a self-propelled pundit, but his stuff is in high readership. I and mean, he's, he's, he's not a new face. He's been following Maryland politics and policy for a pretty long time. But that's the kind of person who's looking around and sort of starting to point fingers. Right. So Barry Raskovar – as you said, he writes columns pretty regularly and about a host of different issues, but he has written about the Kerwin Commission a few times. And his latest piece, which came out on Christmas Eve, Michael, is pretty critical of the commission and its work. Right. And uh, I mean, the title is Kerwin Flunks Math. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean that's pretty critical, right? <laughs> right. right. That's, I mean that you're that you're not pulling the punch with that lead. And and by the way, Dr. Kerwin is a former math professor, so <laughs> right. I mean you're definitely not pulling punches with that lead. <laughs> but he's very critical, and he's essentially saying here that this whole package never passed the smell test, and in order to get 188 senators and delegates, which make up the Maryland <laughs> General Assembly, to sign on here, you would have had to cross a lot more T's and dot a lot more I's. Right. I mean, Raskovar uses, you know, he's 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 good at turning a phrase, and, and so he's got no shortage of clever observations along the way, but he describes, you know, the commission members getting lost in the education weeds. And I think along the way on the podcast, I mean, we have said this from time to time. We've kind of made jokes that they've been talking about engineers in Singapore as this philosophical guidepost for what we want the education system in Maryland to look like. Right. But th- there's a lot of there's a lot of you know a lot of work to be done to fill in the space between those two concepts. How do you draft a bill to to change the aspirational nature of the education profession here in the old line state? It's, right. a, it's a pretty big lift. And how do you put it into layman's terms and sell it and, and right. explain it to people without getting lost in the weeds? Mm-hmm. Which you know, as Mr. Raskovar points out, right. as we've pointed out, it can get pretty weedy. And unless you're really entrenched, it's hard to understand. So I think that was also something that really crippled them was not being able to put this into layman's terms and explain why we're looking at engineers in Singapore and how that relates back to Maryland. Right. And I mean, when, when Raskovar talks about the lack of a public education, not, not the kids in the schools kind of public education, but the idea of informing citizens, here's, here are the specifics of what we're talking about and what we think needs an investment. If you want to make a giant commitment, on the spending side, and it's going to take taxes or budget cuts to get there. I mean, the, the best argument is you paint the picture of what you need. I mean, we're going to spend this money for these things, and this is what the kids are going to get. This is what our economy is going to get. This is what we get out of it. And that's how you commit. You know, that's how you, how you make the first steps towards we need to do this are you with me? Right. And then the citizens can get behind something in theory. Um, it doesn't seem like that's there. I mean, even the people who showed up to testify about the Kerwin Commission's general recommendations, everybody was speaking in the completely generic. I mean, there were a few interest groups who have been sitting in the room with sharpened pencils, but most of the parents and citizens who showed up at this listening tour, you know, they basically came in and said, more money for schools, that sounds great. A lot of them were saying things like, I want my, you know, my kid's class is 37 kids. I don't want that. I want a smaller class. Oh, that's that's Wait, not what we're yeah, doing for that. It might, might go in the opposite direction <laughs> right. there. It's for another episode. Yeah. So, so that's, I mean, anyway. That, that 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 direction was kind of missing here, and I think there's a sense of that around town. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. During the testimony, it was, yes, more money for school sounds great. I want my kid to to be taught by the best teachers. I want them to be in the best schools. I want to have the best programs available to them. But it was all very generic. We never really got down to the nitty-gritty of let's talk about each specific program or let's talk about am I willing to pay more taxes so that Johnny can have – a better teacher or, right. you know, a better school. So this has always been generic. This has always been, you know, pie in the sky. And But I think it is. I think it's fair to say a lot of this is very aspirational with, with no realistic way to pay for it or to break down state and local cost shares. So yeah. – Michael, Mr. Askovar, I mean, he, it's a, it's a, it's quite a long article here and a lot of critique, but he agrees that, you know, this was really hamstrung by the inability to develop funding formulas and figure out how you want to pay, especially 
when we have a governor and as Mr. Escobar says on the state level, there's really no desire to increase taxes. So, right, right. So, so the, an interesting thing that he closes with and I think it's worth us hashing out a little bit here is are, are the commission members, are they willing – this is a quote – are they willing to be realists and settle for far less than sweeping reforms? So it, it, I, I don't know if Barry Raskafar is right, but his thinking is they aim too high. The, the too many dollars and too high aspirations and a package that's billions upon billions of dollars per year forever is just too much to get done. So you got to settle for less. And you were in the room when the letter dropped and with the commission members, you know, found themselves seeing what they thought was going to be this big castle sort of, you know, the waves came in and the sand castle, you know, starts to, starts to erode. But, Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, some of those members were, were hot, right? I mean, they were, they were, they were really agitated that this had happened. And some of it was, well, you know, who wrote the letter? Where'd this come from? But you could also tell, a lot of people, understandably, after three years of meetings, and they've been meeting virtually every month yes. and lots of hands-on, a lot of time with each other, with experts and having these debates, now suddenly it's like, okay, the stuff you've had your your heart set on might not happen. Do you think this group – do you think the commission can come back a year from now or so and say, all right, actually, we don't really need – 94,000 as the average teacher salary, maybe 80. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can, I mean, can they, can they do that? I think that's, it's going to be tough. I mean, particularly in a few areas like special education, early childhood education. I think you have a lot of advocates in that room who have pushed for what's in their recommendations. And even when this happened, when the letter came, we started to see, you know, hands in the cookie jar fighting over what was left, essentially scraps. Right. And the tone of that conversation makes me think that it's going to be a tough task to get anybody on this commission to relinquish the work that they've done and what they think needs to be done, even to, to pare it back a bit. It's going to be really tough. And how you manage that and how you decide we're going to recommend this, this and not this and who gets what, you know, they have four work groups. Each of those work groups worked really hard. And I don't think any of them would want to see their recommendations pared down. Right, right. So, so that'll be the challenge. Right. Yeah, I mean, you used the perfect analogy, I think. I mean, the, the cookie jar, uh, this, this fable of the cookie jar is exactly where I think the commission finds itself. Mm-hmm. If, I mean, if the whole premise of that story is you've got the giant fistful of cookies and you can't get your hand out of the cookie jar because you want all the cookies, and if you let some of them go, you might be able to get the others, but you're not willing to do that. I think like there's a there's a political cartoon, sadly, with Britt Kerwin's face and his hand. You might have just given somebody a really <laughs> right. good idea that we'll maybe see next week. I mean that's but that's I mean that's kind of where this sits. Mm-hmm. And that commission, I mean the membership has shown it's got a bit of a mind of its own. I mean they've got very capable staff doing lots of work for them, but there's a lot of members who have been willing to turn on the microphone and Try and steer the ship in in a different, you know, sometimes dramatically different direction. Sure, no shortage of sharp tongues on that commission, yeah. and, and that's what makes me think this will be difficult. You know, they'll convene this work group now to figure out how you come up with the formulas. Yeah, and- that's a, so. So that that work group is a weird element. Mm-hmm. This is back in the letter from the presiding officers. Their suggestion is rather than the full commission do all this work. 
let's get a smaller, maybe more nimble group to spend some time developing a first draft on what formulas could look like and then present it back to the whole commission. Right. So there's a variety of theories as to what that might be amount, you know, what that might amount to, uh, but that could be an interesting path forward for a group that's been used to. We work as a giant team, we break into subgroups, and then we bring everything back. This will end up being presumably, you know, six or eight or ten people, you know, come out of a, some sort of a smoke filled room and say, "Here's the first draft." <laughs> yeah, and I mean, and you can understand why the smaller group makes sense, right? I yep. mean, to try and develop these very complicated formulas. They're in the weeds to bring the whole commission in there to do that and have all the lights turning on for everybody that wants to come in and provide input. It'd be tough. That would be tough. So presumably bringing together this small group will allow them to develop what they need to develop and get it back to the commission so that they can vote. And then ideally for this commission, they'll have all of their recommendations ready, the entire package ready to go for the 2020 session. So, so if, if part of what we're doing here is unofficially wrapping up 2018, I mean, we've covered lots of stuff on the Kerwin Commission this year. So we start with Kerwin Commission. Another thing that we, t- we spend some time on is the state's economic forecast. And that plays in here too, right? Absolutely. So e- even if all, all this, this bluster and the letter and so forth, if, even if all that was really intended to do was just delay for a year and then we'll still see all the same formulas and all the same suggestions, it'll just be 11 months from now. Even if that's really the intent, I mean, if you ask 10 economists, four, five, six of them will tell you we are due for some sort of a downturn in the U.S. economy in the relatively near future, maybe maybe we'll see the beginnings of it, or we'll be over a cliff by that by then. Right. So so what happened? You know, when we were talking about the spending affordability committee and so forth, we were already saying this year looks okay, and then it's kind of shaky once you get out a year or two. Mm-hmm. What happens if if we're writing down revenues? You know, the board of revenue estimates sit down and says in September of 2019. Wow, things look rotten. Sales tax is bad. Income tax is bad. You know, people are getting laid off. Jobs don't look good. Buckle up. This is going to be a tough ride. Is that an environment where you can commit to a big, expensive, ambitious spending plan when, you know, maybe the, the current year's budget is already in jeopardy? That's, that seems like, like an added degree of difficulty for getting something done a year or, you know, if it's the middle of the 2020 session, you're like 15 months from now. Yeah. I mean, you would think so, especially the Department of Legislative Services project. By 2023, we'll have a deficit of $1.8 billion. So and that's if you're talking before about, things go bad. Exactly. Yeah, that, that's, and that's assuming the economy is <laughs> right, just, you know, stays fine. really good. Right. So if you're talking about adding another $4.4 billion on top of a deficit of already $1.8, yeah, if you, you can do the math pretty easily and figure out that that's going to be quite an uphill battle. And I think a lot of the commissioners understood that when they saw this letter and they knew if we want to get this done, we got to get it done now. Like you mentioned earlier, why we have this momentum and while the budget is in relatively good shape for this year and in 2019. So, so we can't answer the pivotal question of delayed or derailed. Um, it's possible that one leads to the other, but I guess, you know, it's a wait and see on the big picture. So long-term uncertainty, uh, we'll have a limited amount on the table for the year ahead. Mm-hmm. But as far as the multi-year big ambitious plan, the, the sort of game changer, Kerwin, that looks like it's a 2020 session issue instead of a 2019 session well, issue. What are Something? they going to talk about in 2019? Well, let's talk about that in a few minutes. We'll talk about that in a few minutes. When we come back, we will discuss 
Kerwin Light and what things are looking like moving into 2019. We'll also talk about our conference and we'll get into a few other tidbits, all that and more after the break. back to the Conduit Street podcast. So, Michael, we've gone through what happened, what it means for the Commission on Innovation and Excellence in Education, but everything is not off the table for the 2019 session. As soon as they got the letter from the presiding officers, another report was presented to the commission, and essentially this was how are we going to spend $200 million in 2019 <laughs> because we know we're not going to get the billions that we anticipated. Now we have this $200 million. And remind our listeners, Michael, where this $200 million came from. Where, why is the number $200 so million? The, the magic $200 million basically was a set-aside from the budget plan that was struck in the 2018 session. When they did the FY19 budget, one of the things that we talked about probably also to the point of people's uh, willingness to listen anymore about it was income tax reform. The feds reformed income taxes that left a lot of uncertainty but maybe some upside to the state revenues for the for the budget year ahead rather than really pocketing all that and saying okay we know exactly what we're going to do we're going to spend all this money the state sort of said let's we know a school spending plan is around the corner let's set aside 200 million dollars nominally out of unknown income tax bonus and we'll set that aside for future use so so this this sketch here's a one pager that got handed to the commission members and this was basically well there's 200 million dollars in a sock here's a draft for how you could spend it on things that are either embedded in or consistent with stuff that the Kerwin Commission has been talking about. Right. So and those short-term funding priorities include expanding full-day pre-K for four-year-olds, increasing special education funding, initiating teacher salary increases, providing concentration of poverty grants, and then beginning tutoring programs and funding seed grants for teacher growth programs. And then the commission, in addition to $200 million, plans on asking for another $125 million in 2019 just for special education. That was something that they talked about extensively. There was a lot of debate on, you know, let's not fight over the $200 million now. Let's figure out how to make this work in the best way that we can that will fit in with our recommendations short term. So, And the 125 number also has a special significance that didn't completely randomly appear. The 125 is the first installment of money from casino revenues that because of the constitutional uh, amendment that was passed by the voters in November, um, that's sort of a phase in so that all the casino money has to be above and beyond current commitments. Right. So the first year of that phase in happens to be 125 million. It ramps up to, uh, it's like 125, 250, 375, and then the whole shot, right. which is a bit over 500. Right. So that's go, that can, that money can go to a list of different educational things. The commission, as I recall, didn't ex- like they debated saying we want that money to be what's used for special ed and they backed off a bit from being that specific and basically said, well, we want 125 extra. 
Right. And whether it comes from that source or whether it's from some other source, we're basically indifferent. We'll take on, it. Right. 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 We'll take it. And and I think, yeah, that's the idea. They, they want the money regardless. And I think they do want to pump some into special education because the commission found that that's where the money needs to be, a lot of the money at least. Right. So that, but, that's certainly a goal, at least of a few commissioners right. who really push that issue. But the, but the notion of that being either the use for the lockbox money right, right, right. Um, sort of shows you the, there's an inherent friction here between operating money, whether it's for special ed or for teacher training or for any of these other things on the Kerwin wish list. Uh, against the governor already has a proposal to basically spend the new money from the lockbox proposal on school construction. Right. So building schools and getting kids out of relocatables and getting some schools up to snuff and so forth, that's on his agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's an alternate and it's completely legal way. I mean, it's one of the ways that the, that this constitutional amendment spells out the school money can be spent for. So, that and, and shapes it, up as, and, as yeah, as and it's part also the on the it's also on the agenda of a lot of delegates and senators that who for sure you know so so it does right. put them yeah. in a tight oh, yeah, spot. It's, yeah, it's not like it's not like the governor's by himself right. the only person in town who cares about public schools being built. There's neighborhoods all over the place that are in dire need because their school population has grown or their old school is falling apart. Exactly. So um, we have a need. We know every year the counties and the school boards come to the state with 800, 900 million, a billion dollars worth of projects that are desirable, justified by the school populations, basically ready to go, but for the state funding can only fund some fraction of that. Right. So yeah, the commission certainly did <laughs> (laughs) shy away from saying we want that lockbox money to go to operating funds because you could see people were looking around the room saying, wait a minute, well, I know the governor just announced this proposal. (laughs) He wants to build schools and I like that too. So let's not pigeonhole. (laughs) So I I don't know. That that was interesting, but they want another 125. And then, Michael, it was interesting. After quite a robust debate, the commission did vote on asking the General Assembly to set aside – a lot of money in 2019 to start implementing Kerwin. And I think that is about $750 million. So right. asking the General Assembly to just set aside a pot of $750 million, that might be a difficult it's a big ask. ask right? yeah. But that they do plan on doing that, though, because they want the General Assembly to commit. They don't want them to keep kicking the can down the road. Right. I think we talked about that earlier, that yeah. things could get difficult. So they want to see that commitment. But I think that's going to be a really tough ask. So – so in terms of the 19 session, um, these, these asks by the commission for funding for the coming year, uh, technically these are requests of the governor because in Maryland we have an executive driven budget project process. So, so nothing can get into the coming year's budget without the governor putting it there. And the operating side, that's the only way that happens. Right. And they can't even appropriate the money for a new thing. Uh, like in some, in a lot of states, the legislature can cut a million dollars for project A right. and spend it and say, we're going to move that to project G. And now that's what we want the million dollars to go toward. In Maryland, you can, you can restrict the money and say it can only be used for purpose G, right. but the governor would still have to show up and make the decision to, to amend the budget and spend it that way. Right. So you can fence off money, but until the governor amends it and decides, okay, we'll actually spend the money, you can't can't do much with it. Right. So so you've got multiple players here. If if these ideas, if if the Kerwin Commission's ideas for 
whatever they're calling it. If it's if it's a bridge, to, we already did a we, we already did, a, did bridge. a bridge to Kerwin. Was that maybe a bridge to the bridge? I, I don't I don't know. We there's, like there's multiple bridges. We like we like using the word bridge around here. Maybe a little too much. But so whether it's you know the platform to Kerwin or the springboard to Kerwin or, or the whoever, down payment. Yeah right. Yeah the down payment. Right. We like mm-hmm. that. So so if the if they the debate over a down payment could be a bill. Or it just could be a letter that gets walked around as a please, governor, do this. Um, it could get turned into part of a budget reconciliation bill. It could be a bill on its own. Lots of ways the legislature could do something if they're so inclined. But in general, I mean, for the current year's budget, it would be them requesting that the governor do something. Exactly. exactly. So if the governor's not on board, that makes it complicated. And finding a political consensus in the legislature about exactly what should go into the bill or the letter or the, you know, the budget request. Um, all those things are potentially tricky debates because there's a lot of, there's a lot of mouths to feed on that. I mean, you just rattled off four or five things that they have in mind for within the 200 million. Money's special, gonna go quick. And special ed wasn't on that first draft right. and suddenly they said, well, let's spend the 125. Um, and then we want to spend 125 on extra school construction as well. So we're already have, we are, the math doesn't work already. Right. So, um, so, so that itself is a big enough debate for, for there to be a real fight over. I mean, compared to 4 billion a year, it sounds like it's kind of a rounding error, but 200 million or 300 million or so of real dollars today actually building some more schools or actually, you know, spending some more money on various school programs that actually is going to show up today, that matters. Yeah, so that will still be a debate in 2019. So they won't be able to completely kick the can down the road. They'll still have to talk a little bit about the Kerwin Commission. So, Michael, I think that means we'll have to keep talking about it on the podcast. Maybe not as much, but you'll hear us keep talking about Kerwin in 2019. Yeah, I think so. All right. So speaking of the Kerwin Commission, at our upcoming Winter Conference, Michael, which starts on Wednesday, right? Here we sit on Monday in Annapolis. <laughs> By the time our listeners are listening to this, we will all be in Cambridge and we're very excited, but we will have a session, a roundtable on the Kerwin Commission. We'll right. have our county representatives who sit on the commission, Craig Rice, Montgomery County Council member, and Bill Valentine from Allegheny County. They will be walking newly elected officials and conference attendees yeah. through what is going on. And obviously, this will be a lot different than right. what we expected them to be talking about, but certainly still a lot to talk about and what we can do moving forward. Right. So we built out this session you know, two or three months ago as we were, you know, putting together the skeleton for this conference saying, I mean, Kerwin's going to be a hot topic. We're going to have, we're going to, we may, maybe we'll have a bill, but we'll certainly have a report. Have we're something. certainly going to know what, what's, you know, what's happening. So this is a follow-up to a big, robust, and I think really healthy discussion we had at our August summer conference. Britt Kerwin was there along with our reps and, and uh, Maggie McIntosh right, and, right. and the president of the Senate walked into the room and sat down and, you know, listened in on the whole conversation and so forth. You can tell, I mean, August was, was a hot time for this conversation as things were just starting to come together. Right. We thought January was going to be perfect the timing to, all right, here it is. Here's some slides on what's in the program, what it means for your account. Oh, you're poor. Here's what it means to you. Right. You got a bunch of special ed kids. Here's what it means to you. You're just barely being able to fund maintenance of effort. Here's what it means for you. Instead, we have almost none of that. Instead, we've got the kind of the conversation we just talked through. But from the horse's mouth. And that's going to be really beneficial because our two reps, I mean, they've sat through the hundreds and hundreds of hours in the conference. <laughs> literally. Call, yeah, literally. Yeah. 
So they have a unique perspective, and I think it's going to be a great session. And then, Michael, what are you looking forward to at conference? I know this conference is a record breaker, by the way. Oh, yeah. We're, we're off the charts with attendance and participation, uh, commercial vendors and so forth. So, I mean, all of the measurables are going to be the best we've ever had for a winter conference. This is more than twice the size of the winter conferences Mako was doing when I started here. Unbelievable. So we've had, we've had tremendous growth. It's, it's, it's hats off to what the staff has been doing, but also the effort that our members put in to, to these, you know, to these things and getting a lot out of them. One of the things I really like is right after each quadrennial election, we do a lot of content built for newly elected officials. So a big sort of onboarding orientation on Wednesday. If you're new to county government, we'll give you a day's worth of content, which kind of walks through some of the essentials. And a little bit of that is just here are some contacts who are going to be in the room during this conference and you probably want to talk to these people and those people and you may want to talk to the local government insurance trust about insurance offerings because you may not understand how that works. So that's fine. But then we'll give you a quick flavor of, you know, you're new to the public sector um, like most of our newly elected officials are. So by the way, like here's what the ethics laws look like. Here's what we mean by open meetings laws and public information stuff and – process to conduct public meetings and these sorts of things that are new to you if you're new to the public sector. Right. So you get a quick immersion, all that stuff. A lot of that is hats off to our partners at the University of Maryland. They co-sponsor the Academy for Excellence in Local Governance. We highlight the beginnings of that program, and our goal is to load up lots of elected officials on that track toward getting that certificate and getting full exposure to all those topics. It starts at this conference. Yeah, and that's been really successful. You know, the number of elected officials who have come to me and said they're so excited because they've graduated. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And it's a big deal. And, and the, the amount of information right. that you learn is invaluable. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's essential stuff. There are some states where it's actually in the law that you have to go through a training program as be, as part of being a local elected official. Maryland doesn't go quite that far. But we have had a really good track record getting wide participation of our, our newly elected and you know new staff people will, will join this as well. So that's a good thing. Yeah, that's going to be great. And I'm also looking forward to, Michael, we have a session, Trash Backlash, Will Going Green Put Us in the Red? And this all has to do with China recently announcing that they are implementing strict prohibitions on the type of material that they're willing to accept to right. be recycled. And that's a big deal for the United States and particularly local governments who do not have the capacity uh, to handle all of this recyclable material and typically has been sent right. overseas. Right. And so you know, as we are fond of saying on the podcast, this once again in Maryland is a county responsibility. Yes. Our, we do recycling in Maryland and that's going to make things tougher, more expensive and tougher to get citizen buy-in for. So I think this is maybe the first time a lot of people will hear about what's going on there. But as you hear that your county is saying, we can't do single stream anymore. You mm -hmm. have to put things into two baskets. Or here's a list of things we used to be able to take and we can't anymore. Uh, all this is connected to global policy. Um, it's, you know, you ride the wave of, of what you're doing, but this is a tricky one to handle. Uh, the perfect kind of thing to talk through at a conference like this. Yeah, I think a lot of people may have seen the headline that China was going to be more restrictive, but they didn't necessarily think. Yeah, it how through. does that affect me? Right. Yeah. Right. Well, and, I, can't, and that, I can't put plastic bags in my 
my pickup recycling in Anne Arundel County any longer. Now I have to walk those to a special place that could take them. That's you know a, 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 an extra pain in the neck factor, but it's you know, the kind of thing right, that right, people right. care about right. and yeah. uh, that you have to be aware of yep. of what affecting your constituents. Yeah. So we we also on on Wednesday have a session um, which is a meeting of actually the state's smart growth sub cabinet. They're going to convene on site at our conference. The idea being an awful lot of what they talk about is really connected to land use and environmental policy and things like that, that are really affected at the local level. So what better place to have that group convene than you do it at the Mako conference where you're going to have lots of the relevant players around the room. And if you get some, you know, some County engineers or County administrators, or so forth, or county elected officials who want to come there, listen to that debate, hear what's coming around the bend, and offer their insight and questions. That enriches their meeting and and potentially gives them some some more guidance from local government. So I love the idea of a third party who realizes they've got an overlap with our domain. They say we want to be at the conference to conduct our regular event. So that's a good synergy. It'll be good for them. It'll be great for us. Yeah, win win there, and of course. We have a number of, of sessions, Michael, with everything from capital budgeting. We mentioned trash. There, there's a lot going on. But, of course, the highlight for a lot of folks is the 2019 General Assembly forecast, which will happen at the end of conference. Right. And that will really give folks an idea of what to expect in 2019, again, from the horse's mouth. And we're literally a week before the session starts. So it's it's the ideal time to run up the flagpole. We've got leaders from both parties in the legislature and from the administration. We get multiple perspectives and then a window of time for people to grab the microphone and say, hey, wait, you didn't talk about oysters. I want to hear about oysters. And we do that. Um, that's a good, healthy, it's good, healthy content for our elected officials. I think it, it's I mean, that audience is built in. They're plugged in. They're all stakeholders. Everybody on, on the, you know, up on the panel recognizes that this is an audience you, you have a, you have an inherent partnership with in county government because counties deliver so many things that we care about. As we talk about, when we talk about elections, counties do it. We talk about recycling, counties do it. Land use, public safety, education, counties are the ones there supporting it, funding it, making it a priority. So that audience is a hotspot if you want to come in and talk about what's next. Absolutely. And speaking of what's next, Michael, besides the conference and loading <laughs> up the vans and getting ready to go. Ready for 2019. <laughs> yes. So counties, another service that counties provide is libraries. Yeah. And I know that you and I both listened to the same podcast and we heard about libraries. It was right. an interesting episode. And I, I think, you know, what are you looking forward to? What did you right. get from that? And how do you relate it back to counties? I, th- I just thought it was interesting. We covered, it was a several weeks ago on, on our podcast, we talked about the modern Maryland library and how libraries have gone beyond books into technology and into other kinds of offerings where, you know, it's like you know, musical instruments and being able to borrow uh, a suit of clothes for a job interview for someone who doesn't have the means to afford them right now. Other things like that, the idea of a public lending entity or a public space and so forth. And that's what libraries are evolving into. I feel like This American Life, who is basically like if you're in the podcast universe, they're sort of royalty. Right. So, you know, worshiping at the altar of This American Life seems kind of safe to do. Yes. Anyway, they, they, had an, they had an episode just came out a day or two ago, their last episode for, for 2018. But it was all about vignettes related to public libraries. And there were variations on the theme about public access and 
libraries as a public resource. If you thought our conversation about libraries was interesting, I would recommend tracking down the This American Life. They they made an interesting analogy that the modern library has turned into like the room of requirement from the Harry Potter books where the magical room of requirement, whatever you need, it's in the room of requirement. It's sort of like whatever you need, you can get help with it at your public library. And if they don't have what you're looking for, just ask. Yeah, and then someone will help track it down. And, and I mean, I don't think these are one-of-a-kind stories of employees, you know, the librarians and staff in public libraries finding ways to help people with stuff that's way beyond just, you know, I need this book or I need to look up this document. Yeah, so, and if you listen to that episode, I, I think you'll understand exactly what Michael's talking right, about. It's, I mean, it's inspiring at a public service level. So, you know, one more thing on the palette of things that counties do here in Maryland is we support and prioritize public libraries. And if you listen to that that uh, episode of This American Life You'll, you'll get a little more flavor why. Yeah. And I am very much looking forward to what Annapolis is going to look like when we come back from our conference and we get session underway. We're transitioning here. The podcast will transition into right. session mode. The whole city will transition. For sure. Yeah. And it's going to look a lot different, Michael, because just over half of the 60 newly elected lawmakers are women. And this will be the, right. the largest number of women right. in Annapolis yeah. during sessions serving as a delegate or as a senator that we've ever seen here in Maryland. And I think that's awesome. I think it's going to be quite a transformation and things will look different. They'll feel different. And I don't know. I think it's a refreshing change here in Annapolis and it's a good thing to see. So I look forward to that. Right. And I think, I, I think, um, you know, for the moment we are focused on the big turnover at the county level, but we are creatures of Annapolis and that'll be our focus for most of the next 90 days. So, and yeah, as you mentioned, that'll be, that'll be our, our, our focus here on the podcast in the weeks ahead. Uh, we and, and our colleagues on the policy team will be covering policy stuff through the legislative session. We'll be, it'll be a little more week by week. No shortage it, of content. Yeah. No, I, I think mean, that's true. It's going to be uh, very busy. And I think from everything I hear around town, it's going to be quite a busy legislative session in general. So I think we'll have a lot to talk about. Agreed. All right. So that'll do it. We're going to go pack up the vans and head down to Cambridge. We hope to see you there. Please stop by and say hello. As always, if you enjoy the podcast, give us a like, tell your friends. Really helps us get our message out. But for Kevin and Michael, we will be signing off and we will hopefully see you in Cambridge. And we will be back as the session convenes for this 90 days. We'll have a lot to talk about. Join us. Don't miss out. We'll talk to you soon.